Support for this episode of Science Moab comes from the Colorado Plateau Foundation, a Native-led philanthropic institution supporting Native-led organizations, protecting water, sacred places, and endangered landscapes, preserving Native languages, and uplifting sustainable community-based agriculture. Since 2012, the Colorado Plateau Foundation has awarded $2.8 million to over 100 Native-led initiatives across the Colorado Plateau. More information is available at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Christina Young, and today we're talking with Colleen Cooley about her experiences as a Diné woman and a river guide on the Colorado Plateau. Um, yet eh, she Colleen Cooley in Ashia, Kenya Ani Nishla, look at Diné Bashish Chin, Twa Heglini, Deshache, Glislana Deshanella, Shantwa Dent Do Bistog is Dent Nasha, a quadal a Diné Esta Nishla. So I introduced my four clans and I am originally from the communities of Blue Gap in Shanto, Arizona. I like to acknowledge both my parents, my mom and my dad and where they grew up and where they come from. So that is why I mentioned the two communities that I come from and I currently reside and had moved back to Shanto where I grew up in in hopes of building my home out there. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about kind of your background and how you came to to care for for this these places that you've now come back to for the landscapes and cultures of the of the Colorado Plateau and, and the regions you're talking about. For me, and I think when I introduce myself, it encompasses who I am it encompasses my connection to the lands and the waters and to Mother Earth and to Father Sky. And so it's, I guess, I, I, it, I didn't come to care for it. The way I look at it is I was born into it. You know, these lands and waters are part of me and it's also instilled in the stories and teachings that have been passed down to me. So when I introduce myself, I am talking about my clan's towering house and water flows together, reed people, many goats clan. And that encompasses the land, the water, our non-human relatives. And I like this one quote that I heard recently from Casey Camp. Uh, she's with the Ponca Nation, and I just love the way she said it. She said, we are nature protecting itself, you and I. We are not protecting nature. I'm wondering what what brought you to, you know, kind of focusing on, on rivers or, or at least, you know, getting into rivers and specifically uh, river guiding. Yeah, I was introduced to river guiding or being next to the rivers, mostly the San Juan River. In 2008, there was a program that my older sister Nikki co-founded at Northern Arizona University called the Native American Guide Training and Cultural Interpretation Program because she saw a need for more Native 
and Indigenous guides to be involved or to provide that knowledge and their connection to these places within these river companies. And so she took it upon herself along with some of her partners and colleagues to start a program. And the training occurred on the San Juan River. And as far as I remember, there were about 50 participants that went through the program over three years. And I think maybe about a third, maybe a fourth of them went on to pursue their guide license or to pursue working not only as guides, but also working within the national parks, possibly. I just was immediately connected to to that region and the San Juan River. And I think maybe the people that I was in the program with made it that much more enjoyable or maybe want, I don't know how to describe it. I think just what they shared and having them understand what I'm thinking or the way I'm being, the way I'm connecting to that place. You know, I think this kind of program is different than maybe the Knowles Outdoor School and that kind of program. Because this was native led, we have native guides leading the the program. We had native educators and knowledge holders that were along for the trip as well before during and after the program. And so I think that made it even more, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> I, I really appreciated that. I'd love to hear what you would like to see moving forward for other women and native people guiding in these places that are, you know, ancestral lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think before I get into that question, I wanted to mention that our nation, our Navajo nation, is surrounded by four major rivers, or some may six rivers, the Colorado River, the San Juan River, the Rio Grande, the Little Colorado River, and then we have two in there that some people don't talk about much, are the Puerco River and the Zuni River. Our nation is also surrounded by four sacred mountains, and some may say six mountains or more mountains that are sacred around our homelands, Dokoslid, Tsotsith, Debenta, Sisnajene, Chol'e'e, and Zithna'odili. Even after you know being a guide for about 10 years or so, I'm still learning myself about my connection to the place, to the region, and hopefully sharing that with other up-and-coming guides or my fellow guides that are out there or just even for, you know, even my own family or my niece and nephew, for example, and just teaching that to them. I definitely want to see both more women and both both more native and indigenous guides on the rivers and on the landscape as you know the leaders i mean in in this sense in the outdoor industry but i know there are definitely a lot of women leaders that are not recognized right i think we are 
born to be leaders in our families, in our communities, but we don't do it for, you know, attention. It's just part of who we are and what we do. It's, it's our responsibility to, to be in those leadership roles. Yes, we need more native guides, but I've also seen that it is important for companies or programs that are pushing, you know, wanting to support this, but also to provide a support system, kind of an in-between or something that's set up there for, you know, new native guides in this industry, because we see and experience and process things differently than our fellow non-native guides. For example, if I'm coming in as a new guide, I may have trouble connecting with other guides socially or culturally because they might not understand why I pray with corn pollen before I go on a river trip, or they may not understand that I can't go, I am not allowed to go into an into ancestral dwelling, for example, that I can only you know, speak about it from afar and speak about my own experience and knowledge. They may not know how much I carry with me in terms of my responsibilities back at home. You know, we're so family oriented that we will do anything we can for our family back home. You know, my fellow guides may not be able to understand that, for example. So just having that support system in place for someone that that I can relate to, somebody that can speak to about these things in these challenges and just, you know, focus on why I wanted to do this in the first place. So I think that is important as we move forward when we're wanting to have more native and indigenous guides in these spaces. You know, thinking about water and your experience working both with environmental science and, and thinking about, you know, problems with, that we have with, with the environment. And then now, you know, your, your interest and experience with water and kind of bringing those together. This region is definitely drying and we're seeing less water, you know, on the land. And I was wondering if you can talk about aridification uh, as you've seen it or as you've seen it affect uh, communities around you on the Navajo Nation. Yes, this has been very evident with the drastically low levels at Lake Powell, right? And Lake Mead and other reservoirs in the Southwest, especially for this year. And it made the headlines. A lot of people are aware of this. Unfortunately, what's not in the headlines is the groundwater that has been depleted, over depleted actually, over extracted for over 50 plus years, you know, for over 50 years to transport coal. I'm mostly speaking for Navajo Nation and our groundwater and our wells have been contaminated with uranium and fracking. But again, this does not make the headlines. So our Navajo Nation specifically has already been dealing with less water, with contaminated water, with lack of infrastructure 
for water delivery. So with the over depletion of water in the last 50 plus years, we've had to figure out ways to adapt already. And we have to continue to fight for clean water and clean air. We also continue to conserve our water. We use way less water than a family that lives in a city, especially the families on Navajo Nation that are still hauling their own water. Or if their water is contaminated or the wells are all contaminated nearby, they have to buy bottled water, unfortunately. And that costs a lot of money. And so I really appreciate the organizations and individuals that are working on water, helping deliver water to families, especially in rural areas. Rural meaning, I would say 10, 20 miles off the main highway. It's very difficult for them to, to go and get water. So there are organizations like Dig Deep I know that there's another organization called Six World Solutions and others that are helping deliver, provide water, or even put in these huge water tanks for having water run off the roofs and go into these big uh, cisterns. And I think from there, having a filtration system in place as well. And I've seen it happen in our communities coming together during, especially during the pandemic, because we saw the headlines for that lack of infrastructure, right? And we weren't able to just easily wash our hands as we were told. And so I really think that our communities and our other organizations came together during this time and are still doing that work out on the ground. So. That's what I've, I've noticed or observed. And I know you were a part of organizing a, a series called Beyond the Pandemic. Can you talk about that? Yes, the Beyond the Pandemic series was started out of a notice that went out to the Havasupai Nation or from the Havasupai Nation to those that were traveling on the river and they simply requested that no one stops at the Havasu Canyon. And so there was some controversy online that occurred and just some were ignorant comments made about, you know, how, how can we, if we're just walking up a few miles, you know, the boundaries of Havasu by nation doesn't start until whatever, how many miles in from the riverside, but for myself and other indigenous peoples, we may not see it in that sense. And it goes beyond the, the pandemic, meaning beyond COVID, that these are our ancestral homelands, that we have a connection to these places. It's not about passing on COVID to others from the riverside into the Havasupai Nation. It's that they have an inherent right to say, you cannot stop there because these are our homelands. There are many other places to stop along the river. And so I wanted to bring a a group of women together to speak about that. 
both Indigenous and non-Indigenous women. So we had, I think, about five women speak to that and their connection and what does that sovereignty mean? It's going beyond the pandemic. <laughs> and we had a really good turnout during that panel discussion and really good insights and good knowledge shared amongst the women with our audience that were tuning in. And so I think your question about what do you what do I see moving forward with the having more indigenous guides in this space? I want to have a conversation with other guides <laughs> that are either interested, that are, you know, just new to this industry or past guides based on their experience and just have a conversation with them and share that because I think others want to hear that as well. I'm wondering what you would like to see moving forward. You know, you talked about specifically for for native guides, but you know, in general for the protection and and care of this region and um, the people mm-hmm. living here. Yeah, definitely. I think this has been said in a lot of different spaces. The main takeaway is acknowledge, incorporate, listen and uplift the voices, the perspectives, the knowledges of indigenous peoples. We've been hearing that, but what does that mean? So I think incorporating those knowledges into maybe management plans in climate adaptation plans, into curriculum, into scientific papers, into and at community outreach meetings, meaning uplifting and listening to those voices into podcasts, such as this one, the Science Moab, and just providing a space for us to share our knowledge and our voice. So I really appreciate you all for for opening up this space for, for us as Indigenous peoples to share our knowledge and our perspectives that's what I, I would like to see moving forward. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for your time and for this interview and for everything that you've shared with us. Yeah, thank you for, for providing this space. Really appreciate it. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab is done in partnership with Utah State University Extension. Media is by Sophia Fisher. Newsletter is by Rhonda Cook. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding. And the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.